Amen. It's wonderful to be here together again this morning and fellowship and worship God who is so good to us and loves us so much and has blessed us in every way, has given us the breath we breathe even right now. We're so very thankful to God for His blessings and His goodness. We're thankful to see all of our members here today. We know we have some traveling during the summer, but it's wonderful to be together with you again this morning. And uh, we have some visitors with us. We want you to know we're very thankful to have you. And we encourage you to uh, come back at any time. You're always welcome. We hope that we make you feel welcome, that you're blessed by your time here with us this morning and encouraged and are given the opportunity to worship God and study His Word. Children, today is Sermon Snack Sunday, <laughs> however you say that, I can't say that real fast, so kids listen to the sermon and you need to remember one thing from the sermon this morning and right after worship this morning you can come up and tell me one thing that you learned from the sermon, okay? Now this is for uh, our, our very eager, if you're in the youth group and you're, you, you're, you want to participate in that, you can, and all the way down to our youngest, anything that you can remember from the sermon. Now, the older you are, though, you got to understand that just saying Jesus isn't, you got to get more out of the sermon than that. So, so listen carefully, maybe write something down. Recently, we were watching the show You Versus Wild with Bear Grylls, if you're familiar with, with him. I think he's had a number of different shows about survival and being in the wilderness and in the cold and things like that. In this particular show that he does, it involves the, the viewer where you get to certain points in the show and, and he asks you to make a decision. What do we need to do? What do we do next? The episode we were watching was uh, he was on a mission to recover some antivenom that was in the wreckage of a plane crash in this barren desert area. And a hospital nearby desperately needed the antivenom. And so he was dropped in and he had to find it as quickly as possible and then call and say, I've got it. They would extract him and deliver it to the hospital. Well, early on in the episode, he's traveling, he's got binoculars, he's looking for the crash site. And at one point, he sees it far off. He's standing up on a high rock. And he sees what he believes to be the crash site. And he knows he's got to get there as quickly as possible. But right before he stood up on the rock and looked through the binoculars and saw the crash site, he ran out of water. He had no water left, and he's in the desert where he says it can reach up to 145 degrees during the day. Kind of like it's been here recently, right? <laughs> and so he makes a decision. He offers the viewer the chance to make a decision. He says, what do we do? I see some animal tracks right here. And that probably will lead us eventually to some water. But it's going this way. And the crash site is over there and we're in a hurry. This is time critical. What do we do? You decide. What would you have decided to do in that situation? Well, what turned out to be the right answer 
was even though it was a detour, even though it took longer, was to go find water and refill the water. Because without the water, you may have made it to the crash site, but you probably weren't going to make it out of the desert alive. Because in the desert, your key to survival is water. Water has got to be at the top of the list. So he showed us how he had to prioritize making decisions, even though the mission, he knew what the mission was. He knew what he had to do, but he knew he had to go do this. He had to prioritize his decisions in order to accomplish the mission he was on, uh, he was out to do. The same is true for us as Christians. When it comes to the Christian life, we know the mission God has given us. The Great Commission, and it is to, uh, to, to make and grow disciples. It is to grow ourselves, uh, to be spiritually mature, to continue to grow, and also to multiply ourselves, to go and make other disciples, to glorify God in all that we do. That's our mission. And yet along the way throughout life, we've got to prioritize decisions and things and opportunities, right? And time and stuff like that. And so, so this means that we are choosing what we will do, and at the same time we're choosing what we will not do. Anytime you have to make a decision, you're saying a yes, and you're also saying a no. Whenever you say yes, you're also saying no. Whenever you say no, you're also saying yes. That's what making a decision is about, and that's what setting our priorities is about. And so we're talking this morning in this series, this is a more topical series, and then when this series is over, the Sunday before school starts, we're having a, doing something special on that day, and then we're going to get into the book of Mark, and I'm excited about the gospel of Mark. But today we're talking about how do we make God-centered priorities? How do we have as, as Christians, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, how do we have God-centered priorities? Jesus tells us how to determine priorities in life in Romans chapter 6. Turn with me there to Romans, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6. And look at verses 19 through 21. Jesus taught, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in, break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is you've got to make decisions in life. You've got to prioritize things in life. And he's saying you need to prioritize the things of God, the, the heavenly things, the things that God would have you to do. The things of God need to be at the top of our list. The things of heaven. And it's interesting that he, he talks about our heart and our treasure. And he's letting us know, Jesus is saying, when you find where your treasure is, Wherever that is, in the same place you'll find your heart. Because your treasure and your heart will always be in the same place. If you're wondering, where is my heart? All you have to do is find what it is that you treasure. Look at your life and examine yourself and determine, what do I prioritize? What's at the top of the list? And that's what I treasure. 
And that's where you'll find your heart. Because they'll always be together. And you say, well, my heart, it, it loves God and all that, but when we look at what we treasure that's something different, then something's wrong. That does not equal. Because that means our heart truly is over here. Deep down inside, we may wish it was over here. And if that's the case, we've got to prioritize the things of heaven so that our treasures are there and our heart can be there also. Look in verse number 33. Jesus told us what the top priority is. He said, even more than the daily concerns of life, of just making it through life, about uh, what am I going to wear, about school supplies coming up, and, and school clothes, and this activity, and that activity, and health care, and, and, and the needs, and I've got to fix this on the house, and, and I want to go on this trip, and all of the concerns of daily life. He says, even more important than the concerns of daily life is the concern of God, is God first in your life. And so in verse 33, Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But he, as He said before, what we do is we get so worried about all the daily things, and that consumes our minds, it consumes our treasure, it consumes our heart. And he says that you've got it backwards if you're a Christ follower. Because the top priority in your life ought to be seeking the things of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness. I want His righteousness to fill my life. I want to live in His righteousness. I want to, to, to live according to His righteousness as I seek first His kingdom. And Jesus says... You're so worried about all the little things. Let me take care of that. You focus on what's most important. And God will take care of you. It doesn't mean you're going to have the mansion on the hill with the new truck and the new boat and the, uh, and the, the country club membership. He's not saying that. He's saying God's going to take care of you if you will take care of the most important thing in life. And that is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Brother Tim Lewis shared a story about a preacher who wrote to a very wealthy businessman. And he wrote to the businessman asking for a contribution for the church. And some days later he got a reply written by the businessman. And it was some harsh words that he wrote to this preacher. And he said, as far as I can see, this Christianity business is just one continual give, give, give. He didn't like the fact that he had been asked to make a contribution. The preacher thought about it for a while and a couple of days later wrote back to the man. And he said, I wish to thank you for the best definition the Christian life I have ever heard. He said, because the Christian life is all about give, give, give. Now, in the context of the original letter, it was about would you mind making a contribution to the church? But what the preacher learned from that was that what the Christian life is, is all about in 
the total of my life. Love the Lord your God with what? With your all. That's give, give, give. That's what this is about. In the same way that God gave of Himself. Gave His only begotten Son for our salvation. And Paul said in Galatians 2.20 that Jesus gave Himself to us. No matter how much we give in all of our life, in every possible way, we'll never give near as much as what God and His Son have given to us. And so that preacher learned a lesson. Yes. The Christian life is about give, give, give. But it's giving your all in every way, the totality of your life to the service of God, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That's what we want to encourage in every one of you today. So what are some ways I can have God-centered priorities? How can, I, how can I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness in my priorities? What are those God-centered priorities I need to have? Well, let's look at a few this morning. We could list many more, but let's look at some. The first is, we're going to talk about finances, is I, how, how can I seek God's kingdom in my finances? How can I seek God's kingdom in my finances? I think that's a good question. And, and, and the way we ought to, to, to ask the question about giving, about our op, op, offering, is how much am I able to give? How much can I give? Not, oh, oh, I forgot, it's Sunday. Let me, anybody got, who's seen the checkbook? That's not, that's not how we prioritize the kingdom of God in our giving. In our finances, when we just look around to see what we have left, we find something in the couch or on the dresser or or in our pockets or what's left in our wallet from all of the fun we had last week and over the weekend. And we didn't think one bit about the cost of that, but all of a sudden, let me see what I got left. See, that that doesn't seem to equal, match up with seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because our finances, the way we use and spend our money, the way we steward our money that God gives us, by the way, that He blesses us with, it says something about what we treasure. It says something about where our heart is. And when we give to the work of the Lord, then that enables the church to more completely, more fully, more broadly, more deeply do the work of the Lord. What if there's a thing that we could do that we can't do now, but if we had more resources, we could do? Now, money isn't the only resource a church needs. Money needs uh, uh, churches need teachers and volunteers to serve in, in multiple ways. But not everything is free. And we need to be able to prioritize our money so that we can make sure that the Lord's church has what it needs to do the work that it needs to do, to reach lost souls, to seek first the kingdom by uh, making and growing disciples. Do you see that? And so I show what I treasure and where my heart is in my giving. Now what you can give might be way up here. It's relative to you and what God has blessed you with. And what I can give or someone else can give might might be somewhere You know, in here, we all are in a different place. That's between you and God. But you have to answer the question, am I seeking first the kingdom of God in my giving, in in my offering? 
King David taught us something about this when he wanted to make an offering to God. And so he went and he went to a, a man and he wanted to buy a space to use and an ox to use for the offering. And because he was the king, the man said, no, 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 it's free. Don't worry about it. You, you do what you need to do. You're the king. And you remember what King David said, 2 Samuel 24, 24. He said, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. He said, look, look, I, I, I can't do it that way. This needs to cost me something. I need to have some skin in the game. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul praised the churches in the Macedonian region for their generous giving. And he used them as an example for the Corinthian, the Corinthian Christians. And in verse 3 he said, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. And he had already let them know they were very poor. But they gave out of their means, out of what they could, and even beyond what they could. Even in their poverty, uh, a friend of uh, Joyce and I that uh, we uh, know in Abilene and went to church with for a long time in Abilene, uh, he was talking about giving one time, and the question was raised, well, what if I don't have anything? What if I, I didn't get paid this week or whatever it might be, or right now I just don't have anything? He said, can you find a dollar? Can you find something to give to show? Look, that, i gotta, I got to do something. I, I, I may not have anything, but i got to do something. I think that's such a good example for us. See, real giving is a sacrifice. We need to feel it. And if I don't feel it, I've got to ask, am I seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? We choose to give. We should choose to give like we see the way they gave in scripture. A uh, second one is I can seek God's kingdom with my time. I need to seek God's kingdom with the use of my time. Uh, we need to uh, consider what we spend our time on. What is it I use my time on? We all are making decisions, yes, no decisions, and we do what we want with our time. And we all are always making a decision about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. We choose where we give our time, don't we? And we want to encourage our members to be fully engaged in the life and work of this church. Not just an attender showing up to sit. That, that's not what we're after. We're looking for folks who are fully engaged. And that's a part of the making and growing disciples. That's a part of the growing disciples. We want to help, help you grow spiritually to where uh, if you're not, you're a fully engaged member. Not just a pew sitter. Now that may be where somebody starts and some people that may be all, it may not go any further than that. And we don't hate you, we love you and want you here with us. But what we want for all members is to be fully engaged in every way in the life and work of this church. Why? Because that is a, a, a sign, that is a way to tell if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What does it mean to be fully engaged it means more than just attendance. It means presence and participation. Presence and participation. See, you can't really participate if you're not present, right? But just being present doesn't mean you're participating. 
So we, need, we want to encourage folks to, to be fully engaged by being present, but then more than that, to be fully engaged in the participation of the work of the church. And that might mean uh, in serving in a ministry, uh, teaching, whatever that might be, but it also includes participating in the work of the church when you leave here. And in your neighborhood, in your, in your workplace, and when you go to school and among your friends and all the different things that you do, the way that you live out your faith outside these walls is another way you participate in the work of the church. That's the way the early Christians lived. You're familiar with Acts chapter 2. Look at verse number 42. We learn that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So the first thing we see about them, these new Christians, brand new Christians in the, in the brand new church that Jesus had established, is we see that they, they decided to be devoted. They decided to be devoted. Do you see that? That was a conscious choice they made, that we're devoted to this thing. They were seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in their time. They were, they, th- this word devoted means to give constant attention to. It's a continuous action. It's not something they do. Uh, it's not an afterthought. It's not something they do when it's convenient. It's not something they do if they've done everything else and then they've got time to squeeze it in. They were devoted to it. It was getting their constant time and attention continually. That's what the word devoted means. What is it they devoted themselves to? To the teaching, the teaching that the church had, to fellowship. Now that is that word koinonia, and that means they were sharing together. They were doing life together, and you can't do that when you're not together. So they were, they were intentional about being together. Uh, to the breaking of bread. And in this context, there is some debate about it, but in this context, it does seem to be to include, to, to primarily mean sharing meals together. Now, it would encompass the Lord's Supper, but it is not just the Lord's Supper. It is a part of that fellowship that they broke bread together. That, that's how close they were. That's the kind of time they spent together where they were even eating with one another. And we've got a fifth Sunday fellowship meal coming up, and that's wonderful. And I'm glad we do that. And that's a time to, to break bread together, but it happens in other places too. And it doesn't have to be organized and programmed. It's when you invite somebody over. When you invite a visitor over to eat or out to eat, when you get together with some other families and you're spending time together, or in your small groups that you're all signing up to be a part of so that you can get together more and be a part of sharing life together. And then they devoted themselves to prayer. From day one, we see these brand new Christians were fully engaged in the life and in the work of the church. You see, we choose what we spend our time on, and we choose the things that are non-negotiable, don't we? Setting God-centered priorities means that we are setting God at the top of the list of all the other things that we spend our time on. We make our kids do a lot of things they don't want to do, right? We make them bathe. You know, what kid wants to bathe? The girls eventually decide they want to bathe. The boys later in life, maybe, when they like the girls, they decide they want to bathe. 
We make our kids bathe. We make them eat that yucky food we make for them, the vegetables. We make them go to the dentist. We make them go to school. We make them do their chores. We make them clean their room. We make them do a lot of things they don't want to do. But guess what? None of those things are going to get them to heaven. None of those things are going to save their soul. And so when it comes to the non-negotiables, what ought to be at the top of the list? I think it only makes sense that at the top of the list, what ought to be there is in our family, as, as Joshua said in 2415, as for me and my house, this is a non-negotiable. We worship God. We are fully engaged in the life and the work of the church. It doesn't mean I can't go do these other things. It doesn't mean we can't do this and that. But top of the list is we seek God first and foremost, and that's it. Don't even question it, because that's who we are and what we do. Finally, another way we can seek first God's kingdom, to have God-centered priorities, is to seek God's kingdom with my conversations. To seek God's kingdom with my conversations. What do people talk about? You know, extroverted people are so good about talking about all kinds of things. And some people, we just don't know what to talk about. We can't think of anything to talk about. That's well, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. I, there's nothing up here. I have nothing to talk about. You ever felt that way? Or you're, you're, you're somewhere unfamiliar to you, kind of a new place. You know nothing to talk about. Everybody else is talking, and you just want to walk up to somebody, a group of people talking, and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Can I still stand here? Can I just stand here and look like a human being that knows what he's doing? You ever felt that way? What do people talk about? They talk about their interests, their hobbies, work, family, uh, politics, uh, uh, the movie they just saw, their trip, uh, or their last trip to the doctor. You know, we talk about any number of things that interest us, that interest others, talk, get to know others. These are all good things to talk about. It's good to know how to be able to have conversations with people. But I want to encourage us to think through, uh, replay the tapes of recent conversations. And, and did you look for opportunities to work in something about God about your faith, about something you're learning in class or in church or in your personal Bible study or, or some way that God has worked in your life and in your family, something you're praying about? Did you look for ways to work that in? Now, you've got you've to pray to God, Lord, help me do that. Help me to look for those opportunities that you give, give me and make an opportunity. Somebody brings something up and their things are going bad in their life or something isn't working out and this, this isn't what they expected or they don't go to church anywhere. You see those as opportunities to say something to them about your faith and about God. How often are we working in our faith and things about Jesus in our conversations? The early church was continually told, stop talking about Jesus. These are the people who were meeting every day together. They devoted themselves. And that's in chapter 2. By the time you get to chapter 4, the authorities are telling them, you stop talking about Jesus. And look in chapter 4, verses 18 and 20 through 20. Peter and John were told, stop talking about Jesus. And what did they say? We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I know what Jesus did in my life, and I'm going to talk about it no matter who tells me not to. I'm going to find a way to bring him up 
in a conversation. Then what did they do? In verse 29, they went back to the church and they told them what had happened. And the church didn't say, oh, well, we better be quiet. We better go underneath. We better be more secretive. No. Verse 29 says they prayed that God would help them continue to speak your word with all boldness. They didn't cower and say, well, we better be quiet. They said, we need to be more bold. In Acts chapter 5, they're again told not to talk about Jesus. And in verse 29, the apostles say, we must obey God rather than men. And they're saying that to the authorities who can really do something bad to them. In fact, in verse, we see that the Sanhedrin were so angry at them when they said that, that they wanted to kill them. See, you don't face that in your life. We don't face that in, in, in our context here where we say, I'm going to talk about Jesus no matter what, and somebody wants to and can kill you. But instead of because of the, the popularity of them, people were listening, they didn't kill them, but they beat them and let them go. They said, well, we've got to do something to these guys. So they beat them badly and let them go. But look at verses 41 through 42. Naturally, you expect, okay, well, we've got to tone it down now, right? That's what we'd expect that they would do because... We would think a lot of people would do that, but that's not what they did. Look at verses 41 and 42. Then they left the presence of the council after they'd been beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So they couldn't stop talking about Jesus in their conversations. Why would they keep filling their conversations with Jesus, though? It's because they were full of Jesus. And they were full of him, so that's what was coming out of them. They didn't have to go looking inside of themselves and say, Oh, I found a little bit of Jesus. They were full of him. And it just came out when they talked. And that's why when Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, For out of the abundance of the heart, remember where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. What am I full of? That's what I'm going to talk about. It's okay to be full of your grandkids and your wife and, 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 and the, all these things. That's fine, but are you full of Jesus in your heart? And is he coming out of you in the way you give, in the way you spend your time, and in your conversation? Let me end by telling a story uh, of a recent, uh, recently of a missionary we support. I want to be careful because this is live stream, not give details, but... Probably most of you got uh, information from this missionary, and he told a story about how he and his wife were giving out uh, hard drives in the region that they were serving. And on the hard drives, they had Bible videos and Bible content in the local language, and they were giving them out in, to try to get them to strategic areas so that people could learn the Bible from the work that they have produced and put on there. And he talked about a husband and wife who came up and desperately wanted uh, one of those hard drives so that they could take it back and they could duplicate it and they could get it out to more people. And so they received one of those and, and, they were, and he was telling the story how this couple had talked about Jesus and had Jesus, conversations about their faith many times. They were very active in sharing their faith. In fact, so active that even though they were in a hostile place, place hostile to Christianity, and they had been jailed for their faith, for talking about Jesus, they weren't going to stop. 
And they were finding more ways, creative ways, to get the gospel out to people. You see, like the early church, these Christians couldn't stop talking about Jesus. They prioritized Jesus in their life. They had God-centered priorities regardless of the cost. And Maybe one reason we don't find ways to talk about our faith in our conversations is because we're not full of Jesus like these folks are and like the early Christians are. And we want to encourage you that when, see, when you're fully engaged in the work and in the life of the church and in your personal life, personal life, then your heart is full of Jesus. Do you see how that works? But when I'm not connected, fully engaged to the church, it's harder for my heart to be full of Jesus and spend time talking about Him with others. And that's what we want is we want you to help you have God-centered priorities in your life, to grow spiritually, to have the kind of faith God would have you to have, to be spiritually mature, to spend, to prioritize God in your giving and in your time, in your conversations, and in every area of your life. That's what we want, so that we can be effective in the work of the Lord. You see, when we're full of Jesus, we're like that old a cappella song. I said I wasn't going to tell anybody, but what? I couldn't keep it to myself what the Lord has done for me. That ought to describe our lives. And I know all of us could say, I need work on that. We want to help you this morning. Maybe you need help to have God-centered priorities. Your priorities have been all out of whack, and you want to ask for prayers. Maybe you're ready to commit your life to Jesus like the early church did. You're ready to put on Christ in baptism and become a Christian. We can help you do that this morning. Maybe you need to start studying with somebody. So do you know what it means to be a Christian? Tell me about this Jesus you believe in. We want to study with you as well. If we can serve you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.